So our scripture reading today will be out of John 15, verses 1 to 11. So I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to Trinity Community Church. It's really good to see you. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're with us. One of my favorite places in all of Boone County, you know I'm a Boone County guy. One of my favorite places in Boone County is this little vineyard in Huntsdale. Now, Huntsdale is a small town southwest of here, population 31, according to the sign on the one road in Huntsdale. And this little vineyard, it's, it's off this winding gravel road called Nebo Cemetery Road. And there is a, an old cemetery on this road. And as you follow the gravel along, you kind of come to a clearing. There's a house on a hill and then a steep slope down. So the, the slope is too steep probably for row crops, but there's this, this vineyard there. The vineyard's less than an acre. It's not super large, and so it's probably not somebody's, you know, it's not what they do for a living. This is, this is sort of just a, a hobby vineyard, I assume. But it is beautiful, and it is meticulously maintained. You get the idea that whoever, whoever owns this vineyard takes delight in it. It is one of their favorite things in all the earth. And you can tell their care for it by by the, the product itself, by the fruit, as you pass by, it's just, it's just beautiful. And I thought of that this week because we're looking at John 15, and I find it significant that when Jesus talks about spiritual maturity, he gives us the picture of, of fruit on, on a vine. In fact, when, when the Old Testament gives us a vision of spiritual maturity in Psalm 1, it says that spiritual maturity looks like a green tree, planted by streams of living water. The roots go down beneath the surface, and so there's no fear of drought or storm, but it bears fruit in season and out of season because the roots go down so deep. And then in the New Testament right here, Jesus says that spiritual maturity is like a rose bush or a grapevine, and the vine gives life and energy and nutrients to all of its branches, and the gardener cares for each branch with skill and love. And this morning we're starting a new series called The Deeply Formed Church. And what we've been doing in our, our leadership team meetings for the last year, even year and a half, is seeking the Lord and, and asking in prayer, Lord, who do you want us to be as a church? 
Who do, you, who do you want us to be? What do you want us to, to look like as we're growing, as we're entering into maturity as a church? What, what do you want us as a local expression of your, your eternal and, and global body of Christ? What do you want us to look like? What do you want us to do? And as we're praying and as we're talking and, and studying the scriptures and all that, we're, we don't sense the Lord giving us like a, a plan for attendance growth or like how do we get a great building or what's the next like awesome program we can offer for people. Instead, we get a sense of who God wants to cultivate us to be and to become. We feel like he's given a vision for spiritual maturity, not just as individuals, but as a community. And so this series is a little bit of a vision series. It's a little bit of ecclesiology, which just means doctrine of the church. It's a little bit of a rant against American Christianity in this cultural moment. I'll try to keep that to a minimum. But we're looking at community spiritual formation. How do we as a local church become more like Christ together? And we feel like God is inviting us to embrace and practice Seven things, like seven marks of a a healthy and a deeply formed church. You don't have to remember all of these. We'll be repeating them. But the seven things are intimacy with God, love for his word, love for each other, a life of worship and prayer, a missional lifestyle, love for the poor and hurting, and an eternal perspective. We feel like if we ask ourselves, what do we want to be true of somebody after they spend a few years at Trinity? These are the seven things that come to mind prayerfully. And these are the things that we want to see sort of ripen in us as as fruit on the vine as we stay connected to Jesus. And so today we're beginning with the vision and purpose of our lives, intimacy with God. We weren't created just to be useful to God or to get things done for God. We weren't created, certainly, to to go our own way and try to find life and joy and happiness and peace apart from God. But instead, we believe what the Bible shows is that we were created for an intimate relationship with the Father by abiding in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're beginning with that vision today, intimacy with God. There's a lot of places we could go in the scriptures to see how this is true, but uh, really, I just love John 15. This is one of my favorite passages. This is a place that I come back to over and over for encouragement, for refreshment, for renewal. And so we're going to see three things from this passage this morning. And it's a vision, an invitation, and a process. A vision for a deeply formed life together, the invitation to abide in Christ together, And then third, a process, how growth happens. Like, what is the mechanism of this growth according to Jesus? So let's start with a vision. A vision for a deeply formed life together. And we start with a vision because it's important in all of life to begin with a vision. You know, if you, if you want to do something new, any new endeavor, you could be learning to, uh, you know, plant a garden or, you know, maybe you're writing a book or you're trying to do something significant. You need to start with a vision of what the end is going to look like. And so my oldest son, Joseph, he just started guitar lessons this past week. He's been wanting to, to do guitar for a while. And so what he's doing now is like the, the, the simplest, most basic things possible, like learning the parts of the guitar, learning where to put your hands, how to hold it. Uh, It's stuff that's just really boring and basic, right? 
This is where you have to begin. But if, if all you're doing is learning the most basic things and, and starting from this point, it's going to be really, really hard to keep going. So what we've been trying to do with Joseph is give him a, a vision for playing guitar. And so he's seen Jackson up here, he's seen Madison and others, and he's getting this vision of, of playing guitar with skill and with joy. We've also been trying to point him to, to certain bands that, uh, that we like, that we believe are great guitar players, because when he, when he watches somebody who really knows what they're doing on a guitar, it gives him a vision. And that vision then can sustain him through the long days of learning chords and doing those basic boring things. Without that vision, it's going to be really, really hard to continue to learn and to grow. It's the same for us as believers. We need a vision of where we're going, of who God has made us to be, what he's called us to do, and then let that vision guide us when there are hard days, when we have to take little baby steps and we can't see the next thing. And it's interesting, whenever the Bible talks about growth and character and personal flourishing, one of the most frequent images it uses is fruit. Galatians 5 says, walk by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Eugene Peterson paraphrases it like this in the message. What happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. And so this is the vision. It's a deeply rooted life drawing on hidden resources of living water, those nutrients of God's word and his presence, which sustain us for a flourishing life of joy and peace and, and character formation. Now, this is a, a vision for individual spiritual formation, but it's also a vision for us together. It's a vision for us as a whole, as a community to reach maturity. And so we believe a deeply formed church is one that has a, a strong foundation, a, a thriving system of roots that go well beneath the surface. Even though they're unseen, they're strong. A deeply formed church is one that imbibes a culture of grace and love, forgiveness and friendship. It's a place that can hold both celebration and lament, where people are known for who they are, not what they can do or prove or produce. A deeply formed church is not one that's caught up in secondary pursuits like politics or even church growth, but they keep the gospel the central thing. And so as we've said, we're exploring what this deeply formed church will look like by God's grace in us. But here's the second thing. It's Jesus's invitation. We'll get back to John 15, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples. They're in the upper room the night before his death. So he's in the last 24 hours of his earthly ministry and he's teaching them and he's preparing them really for life without them. And he says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I also abide in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this is one of Jesus' seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, where he's identifying himself to his disciples and followers as the eternal Son of God. And he says, I am the true vine. It's a statement of divine authority, but it's also an invitation to us to live in a certain way, to, to experience life on the vine. And so in Jesus' illustration, God is the gardener. And this garden, this vineyard, the plants, the grapes on the vine, it all belongs to him and it all delights him. He cares for it with, with skill and with love and delight because it's his. And in God's beloved vineyard, there are many branches, but only one true vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. And so to be his branches or to be vitally connected to him and to draw on his life, to draw energy and nutrients and resources from the Son of God and thus bear fruit for God. Now, if you've been to our house, you know that my wife loves these big indoor plants, right? We've got them all over the house. In every room, there's a big indoor plant. Uh, and we, we, she loves the monstera. Have you seen a monstera plant? Monstera, of course, is Latin for takes up your whole living room. <laughs> and if I, if I were to, to pluck off a, a leaf from you know, this massive monstera, the leaves can be like this big, which I would never do because that w- I might die, might get killed. But if I was to pluck off uh, a leaf of this monstera, it would, it would stay green for a little bit, right? Like it would look like a leaf, it would look normal, but over time it would begin to wither and, and turn a different color and die because it doesn't have the, the life, it doesn't have the energy, it doesn't have the, the nutrients of the soil and, and the true vine that it's coming from. And so in the same way, if we get cut off from the true vine, we might look the same just for a moment, but over time we too will wither and die. Jesus is saying, I am your source of personal growth. I am your source of joy and peace and personal flourishing. I mean, every book, every TV talk show, every podcast is saying, here's how to grow. Here's how to be happy. Here's how to find wholeness. And Jesus is saying, you can find all of that, but only in me. Only by being intimately connected to me as the vine with the Father's care for you, That's what you were created for. That's how you can find peace and joy in this life. He says later in John 15, I chose you that you would bear fruit. He's saying everything that I've done, my life, the ministry, my death and resurrection, it's all so that you would be connected to me and being connected to me, you would bear fruit in this world. He's saying you must be vitally connected to me. And that's the invitation. Now, this sounds easy enough, but I want to talk about one of the major threats to intimacy with God. And I want to use a phrase that I I don't know if I've used in a sermon before, but I think it would be helpful to our shared vocabulary, and it's performative spirituality. And performative spirituality is performance-based religion. 
It's doing things to get God's approval and affection. It's doing things to be a better Christian. And it's the default mode, I believe, of American Christianity. Hold off for just a moment on the slide. I'm going to come back to it, my man. One of the the pastors that I love to follow is named John Tyson. He's in New York City. And and he said this in a a sermon recently, and uh, it'll connect in a moment. But he says, February 9th, 2009, 2009, was a day that changed us forever. It may have impacted your everyday life more than anything else. February 9, 2009 is the day that Facebook added the like button to posts. It completely reoriented our society's psychological understanding of itself. Now there is social proof to your popularity. Now there is a performative element to your life itself. Now I'm you know, I'm, I'm often talking about Facebook. I get it. I'm down on Facebook. Dan texted me the other day. He's like, hey, I know you're not on Facebook, so you didn't see this. And I know you hate Facebook, but somebody mentioned you and he sent it to me. I was like, I feel so seen. Thank you. I do hate Facebook. <laughs> but Tyson says you can't live in a performance-oriented society and not bring it into church. It changes the deep motivational parts of your heart. When it gets in the church, it does horrific damage to the practice of our faith. And so, of course, performative spirituality, this this big phrase, it didn't begin in 2009. It didn't begin with the invention of the like button. But rather, the like button tapped into something that is so deep within us, something that's, that's part of who we are, that we have been created to be seen and known by God. And yet, in our sin and in our brokenness, we go looking for that in all the wrong places. And so let me give you a little bit about what performative spirituality is and then contrast it with intimacy with God. So now you can hit me with the slides. All right. Performative spirituality says, I am what I do and how others see me. But intimacy with God says, I am who God made me to be. Performative spirituality says, God wants me to do better. But intimacy with God says, God delights in me and sings over me. Performative spirituality lives to be seen by others, but intimacy with God knows that we're living for God's eyes. You think about the the Psalms that say that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous or the eyes of the Lord are on the humble. Performative spirituality craves the approval of others, but intimacy with God focuses on serving and loving others. Performative spirituality seeks positions of honor, power, and influence. But intimacy with God is content to just be with Jesus. Performative spirituality says nothing good happens unless I make it happen. Intimacy with God says I get to be a part of what God is doing. Performative spirituality greatly greatly fears being exposed as a fraud, but intimacy with God lives wholehearted, the same in every situation. Performative spirituality is always in a hurry and struggles to rest, but intimacy with God is rarely in a hurry. And when you do work, you work from rest. Performative spirituality says, I should pray more, but intimacy with God says prayer is a joy and a source of constant renewal. And when it comes to suffering, performative spirituality, suffering causes anger and bitterness, but through intimacy with God, suffering is an opportunity to trust God the Father more deeply. Now, there's a case study in performative spirituality in the New Testament, and it's the Pharisees. Jesus says this in Matthew 23, everything they do 
is done for people to see. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Now, by the way, where did I get this list on performative spirituality? It, It literally just came to mind in like 90 seconds. And the reason is, is because this has been the default mode of my heart and my life for so long. Like it was not hard to come up with this list. It was much harder to try to find the equivalent of intimacy with God and how it's what we were designed for, but the performative spirituality is literally just, just my default mode. It has nothing to do with Facebook. Facebook wasn't around until I was, you know, fully formed, I think. But this has been one of the biggest struggles of my life, my faith. Wanting others' approval, serving to be seen and praised, barely able to rest and put the work down. I hope by God's grace there's some growth happening. But this is a hard, hard work. Now you might ask, there's a case study for performative spirituality. What's the case study for intimacy with God? It's simply the life and person of Jesus. I mean, Jesus was intimately connected to the Father. He has been for all of eternity, but certainly in his earthly life, we see that. And he makes this invitation to us, and I'll read it again. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Actually, we'll just pause there because maybe you need to hear that. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So in other words, the the abiding comes because we're already clean. Jesus has already declared that you are his, that you are clean. You are not needing to abide in him to prove something. You don't need to perform in any way. He's saying you are already clean because of what I've declared to be true. Abide in me as I also abide in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. He says this in a similar way in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when we become one with Christ, we finally find rest for our souls, rest from our striving, rest from our our scheming and our constant doing. One of my favorite hymns is, It is Finished. It says, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. This is Jesus' invitation to us. You're already clean. Abide in me. Cast your anxieties and your worries upon me because I care for you. He's constantly inviting us to himself. Now, the last thing, the third thing is the process. How is it that we grow when Jesus is calling us to abide in himself? He's giving us a picture of maturity. He also describes how that maturity comes about. It's in verse two. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it becomes even more fruitful. Now, this is a a hard word for us, but Jesus is saying you won't grow without pruning. 
I don't know if you do much pruning. I don't do a lot of pruning, uh, but I understand the illustration. See, when you're pruning a, a, a rose bush in particular, you are cutting back each of the branches so that it might be healthy. You're not just in that moment, but in the following year and in the years to come. Often when I would read this passage, I would picture like a a shrub where some of the little branches get a little bit too long, so you kind of like clip off the edge. And what Jesus is talking about is actually pretty radically different. I remember my friend Greg, who's a, a, a theologian back in Louisville, and he said, really what's going on, the picture that it's being given us is a rose bush where it's being cut all the way back down to the very like bottom of each branch. So the the bush is being cut back, and what's happening is that there are beautiful branches lying on the ground. There are flowers and fruit that are hitting the ground, and it looks like the gardener is just like attacking the poor thing. You think, how in the world is this good for the plant? And Jesus is saying the skilled gardener knows what to cut. He never cuts off anything unless it's for the plant's good. And he's promising us that if you abide in me, you remain in me, I'm not cutting you off, I'm only cutting you back. And so think about it. God is cutting back what's not needed, what's part of the old self, even some really good things. So you lose your your job or your job, you feel like a failure in it. Your marriage is on the rocks, you even lose a loved one, and you're crying out to God, why? Why? Now, it doesn't mean that God took your job or damaged your marriage or took somebody's life like to teach you a lesson. I don't think that. But in this broken world, he can use all of the hurt, all of the pain, all of the loss to prune you into a more beautiful, more resilient, more deeply rooted, more fruitful person. According to John 15, pruning is the primary way that we grow in Christ. Perhaps you're feeling that right now. Perhaps there's something in your life that's being cut back. Maybe you feel like your entire life is being cut back. You might feel like you're dying right now, like God doesn't see you, like you have no idea what he's doing. But it could be that he's loving you by pruning you. He's maturing you. He's making you a deeply formed person. You know, everybody faces suffering. We've talked about this a good bit before, but suffering makes some people harder and more angry and more bitter, and yet suffering makes other people softer, more generous, more kind, more Christ-like. And in the language of this passage, I think the difference is that when somebody's not connected to the vine, when Christ is not their vine, suffering is going to destroy them. But if Christ is your vine, you'll be cut back and it'll, it'll hurt. It won't make much sense. It'll, it'll look wrong. And yet if you're connected to the vine, you'll continue to grow. You'll continue to flourish. On the other hand, if anything else is your vine, if, if, your, if your work is your vine, in other words, if your work is your source of life and peace and meaning, if your spouse is your vine, if, if success is your vine, when it's cut back or cut off, you've lost your source of life and joy and purpose. If anything but Christ is your vine, suffering will destroy you. But if Christ is your vine, you can lose your work, you can lose friends, you can have almost everything taken from you, and you're still drawing on the strength and joy of Jesus. This has been my experience. Nothing has brought me to the end of myself like suffering. 
Nothing has rooted out my own self-confidence and pride like suffering. I remember my old spiritual director used to say, everybody grows by prayer or by pain, and nobody gets there by prayer. You grow by pain. Romans 5 says that it's by suffering that we learn patience, endurance, trust, and hope. These are fruits that are impossible to to ripen, impossible to demonstrate in your life apart from pain and suffering. Now, pruning is a, a heavy word, right? It's a heavy word, but it's not the final word. I don't know if you notice how Jesus ends this passage. You can even look at your bulletin. The last verse, it's verse 11. There's an incredible promise there. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so the final word of this passage, it's not pruning. Pruning is where it begins. It's verse 2. The final word is joy. And wouldn't you give up just about everything to experience happiness and peace and joy in, in every moment of your life? Jesus is saying all of this is so that my joy, not, not the fleeting joy, not the happiness of this world, not just easy circumstances, but my joy, Jesus is saying, can be in you. And your joy will then be full. Jesus is the source of joy. He's the source of peace. It's not a plan, it's not a system, it's a person. This is the great news of Christianity, that Jesus has been cut off so that we would never be cut off. Like even the vine was completely cut off on the cross in that moment. And that's the guarantee that we will never be cut off. We can be cut back, we will never be cut off. Jesus took the ultimate rejection so that we are never rejected. Being a deeply formed church, it begins with being deeply formed people. People who reject the false promises of performative spirituality. People who are willing to seek God's face, not just his gifts. People who truly love one another, love God's word, love the poor and hurting. All of these things we're going to talk about. People who do all that not to be seen by others. Not to prove ourselves to one another. Not so we can show it off to the world on social media, but because we're connected to Jesus and his life is flowing through us. This is intimacy with God found through abiding in Christ. And we believe if we can keep that first as a church, if that's our primary calling, that everything else will will flow from it. And so the message today is abide in Christ. Stay connected. Trust the Father when he gets out the pruning shears. He's saying, my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. Let's pray.